Hi guys, it's me, Round Punches. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I appreciate that so much. If you want to support the podcast, there's several ways you can do it. One of the best ways is through patreon.com slash getting better with Ron, where you can become a Patreon supporter starting at as little as $2. Uh, you can get things such as thank you notes. You can get your own shout out on the podcast. That's starting at the $10 level. Get your own personal affirmation. Help with whatever you need focus on, what you're working on. Uh, we love to send you something personally um as well as tickets to shows posters t-shirts things of that nature go to patreon.com slash getting better with ron you can also reach us on instagram at getting better podcast if you want to join us on instagram um see what episodes are coming to get a listen to past affirmations uh that's the way to do that you can also email us at getting better pod at gmail.com the twitter is getting better pod uh you can go to my website ronfunches.com where you can get t-shirts get your own getting better t-shirts find out all my dates where i am gonna be come support me i appreciate it thank you for listening to the podcast Let's get started. Wow. Okay. Hi, guys. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Appreciate that so much. I hope you're doing well. I'm sure we got some Patreon shout outs to get into, but I didn't bring my list. So we'll have to do it next week. (laughs) I'm running around ragged. We'll get into it. But first, we got to get into our affirmations because I know I need them. So I assume you need them. So let's get into them. You know how they begin. I hope you're feeling strong. I hope you're feeling brave. I hope you're feeling loved. I hope you're grateful for that love. I hope you're working and trying to become the best you that you can be. And at the same time, giving yourself a little bit of leeway, giving yourself a pat on the back for working so hard and doing all the things that you can do because life is hard. Life is fucking hard and we forget that sometimes because we see other people and it looks like they're succeeding and doing so much better than we are and and it seems like life could be easy but everybody's going through difficult things everybody goes through struggles everybody goes through trials and we are not unique we are not special we are all in this together which is why we talk about it on this podcast so that we don't feel alone so we don't feel isolated so we don't feel like we're the only ones working so hard and 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 feel like things aren't coming our way um i'm right here with you it's middle pilot season i'm busting my ass just just all over the place it was in vancouver doing stand-up for the just for last festival and we did a live getting better with dulce sloan that you'll um hear in the next couple of weeks and i guess all the live getting betters have been in canada so i guess canada is the place that wants to get better the most and i appreciate you for that i've always loved canada robot is canadian so but i would love to be able to do a getting better in america that would be awesome so if um if 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 the demand is there we'll find a place to do it so send us an email let us know if you want to see a live getting better in in your city so i'd like to come and do it it's just working hard i'm gonna just land went to um vancouver did a couple of shows 
uh, each night hung out with robots friends and, and and that was fun to see she got a lot of friends you know which means that you know she she was a good person she had like 12 people at the show all of which i had to comp which is bad for my bottom line <laughs> but it's worth it because it was just so nice to see um there's just something about seeing how other people respond to your partner and um the respect and love they have for them that makes you be like oh i got a good person i'm lucky to be with this person and 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 a lot of people love her so uh, i'm really happy to be with her and then i came back a day early so i can go and do this audition today and i had a test for a a pilot uh whereas and when you test i'm assuming these are phrase uh phrases that you might not be familiar with uh test is like a big callback so when you're auditioning they're usually um if you're at the lowest level there's a regular audition and then there's the callbacks which you might be able to skip to if they know you and then after the callbacks there's usually a thing called a test where they will take two or three people uh they will have you sign your contract saying that you have that this is what you'll make if you get this job and then you all go in and audition together and that was me today and i haven't had one since undateable so it made me really um nervous and scared and then also just excited and, and and proud of the work that i've been putting in in acting class that that is paying off where that i'm i was able to go out and test this year and that makes me happy because again it's not the it's not the result it's not the job it's the journey i can't control it i went to the test today it was me and two white gentlemen <laughs> I was my mood changed immediately and at first I was just like okay well clearly I'm not gonna get this fucking part uh they're just bringing me in so that they can meet their quota um but I then I just thought about it and was like "Mm, it's not up to me you know maybe I go out there and do such a good job they gotta switch things around and figure out who they're hiring so I was like I'm just gonna go out there and have fun and try to knock it out the park and I use my stand-up background to be like I'm not gonna um I'm not gonna just notice this and let this go by I'm gonna bring it up so I brought it up in the room (laughs) and I was like I love this audition because either the character's black or there's nothing I can do so so i'm just like hey i'm going in i'll go swing for the fences and have a lot of fun and i feel like i had a great audition um i did really well i'm really seeing the advancement in my acting which makes me excited for again my own project and uh this week we're gonna go out and pitch that again so next week uh when you listen to the podcast i might be very happy or i might be very depressed or like every week when i say this i might just not get any information which is what they love to do so (laughs) it's just a fun week um and I just love it when you get those chances to have opportunities and, and, and you don't know what's going to come of them. You know, you just enjoy the journey. Enjoy the fact that I do get to test. Enjoy the fact that I do get to travel to these comedy festivals. And it's not it's just really a change in mindset from me just thinking about money and destination and status and, and power and respect. And the fact that I want I mean. I think a lot of comedians, a lot of people are just people pleasers and we want everybody to like us. So every audition I go in, even if I know, hey, this probably isn't a part for me, even if the other characters are white, I'm like, I can figure this out. (laughs) 
So instead of looking at it as a negative, I was like, well, fuck, how good am I as a comedic actor that they were like, maybe he's black. (laughs) (laughs) If I could change the whole race of a character, I must be doing pretty well in acting class and getting better. So I'm going to look at it that way. Not even worry about the the, um, destination, not worry about the job. Money would be nice. The the ability to stay home with my son and not have to travel so much would be lovely. Um, but at the same time, I'm fucking mercenary. I'm fucking animal. I'll go grind and go get it. I love going, go get it. I love that shit. I love traveling. I love just guest starring on roles, but as much as that, I would like a home. I feel like, um, a lot of comedians, a lot of artists, we're like, we're outside animals, you know? And a lot of these jobs are inside jobs that bring you in the house. And outside animals think they want to be inside until you're inside. And you're like, fuck, there's a whole world out there. And some of it's shitty, but at least I can see the whole world. You get trapped up in um, going inside and that's all you see. All you see is your house. And that's all you think is the whole world is, you know. And you think your status is bigger than it is. And you think you're more important than you are. That's how I felt when I was on my first show. I was like, everybody's watching Undateable. <laughs> Turns out it wasn't true. <laughs> Literally, almost no one was watching Undateable. And less people powerless. Uh, so <laughs> I just like what's going on with me right now. At least, uh, you know, it ebbs and flows. But I feel like my ego is subsiding a little bit. And I'm just happy to work. Like, I love, I'm a worker. I love fucking working. It's in my blood. My uncle is the same way. He would show up at in the middle of a snowstorm in Chicago at 8 in the morning driving all the way across town to come visit because he because he's a go-getter and he's a worker and i think that's instilled in me um i love working and i love going and getting it so hopefully we'll go and get it go and get that job work for a bit and then they get canceled and i'll do something else <laughs> because that's how life is and that's how you gotta think about it it's not pessimistic it's realistic Things will change. Bad times will come. Good times will follow. Things ebb and flow. So if you can stay centered and enjoy the journey, knowing that the good times are not as good as they seem and the bad times are not as bad as they seem, and no matter what, this too shall pass. So life can be fun that way. And that's just something we need to think about. We just, um, today was the memorial of Kobe Bryant. And so a very, very, very big reminder of how short life is. And a couple of days ago was a year anniversary of the passing of good friend Brody Stevens. And as we always say, you know, you, you, Brody meant a lot and he said a lot. And the words that he always said in his set, um, mean more now than they ever meant. You got to push. You got to believe. You got to go out there and give 100% and treat it like it's your last time out because it very well, very well could be. So, and speaking of which, we got a great guest for you today. This is a certified banger of an episode. I really like it. Even if you do not know the guest, I, I implore you to listen through this whole episode because it was full of great advice and great stories and just, uh great perspective um uh, she's just a tremendous talent and just a great mind uh she's executive for comedy central which is great she's helped me on some things and and i've always enjoyed her 
Um, and then now she is the author of a new book called By Yourself, The Fucking Lilies, which uh, I have a copy of. I've started reading it. Robot started reading it. And I can wholeheartedly recommend it. It's a really enjoyable um book that that makes you think about and remember how to be grateful and remember to take charge of your life uh, again it's called by yourself the fucking lilies our guest today is tara schuster enjoy it miss you bro thanks for coming oh my god thanks for having me ron of course that's what we usually start with is why you're here um and i'll tell you why i because normally I'm begging people to come and but then uh, people reached out to me for you. I think you should sitting over there. So that's fun and unique for me. And that just made me feel good. Cause oh, I good. was like, do they know this is just in my office? <laughs> 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 but I uh, want the reason why I wanted to have you is that because um A, anytime I've seen you, you've always been very nice to me and had a sweet personality and um made me feel at ease and usually uh, see you in situations it's like not the most that is me pitching something yeah. or doing that but you always made me feel comfortable and, oh. and so that really like i just enjoy you as a person and oh, then thanks. when i found out what your book was about which is called by yourself the fucking lilies right yes. i'm sure you want me to say it <laughs> <laughs> My, my publicist is like, yes. Yeah, I know the job. Uh, and and when I was starting, I mean, I haven't read the book, but um, when I was reading a little bit about what it was about and the journey that you've gone through, I was like, oh, this is, I definitely want to talk to you. So now you tell me, why did you want to come here? Yes, well, I will I will echo kind of what you said. Um, we first met, I think, on At Midnight. Might have been the first time. And you were just always such a positive, bright light of optimism and so nice to everybody and like made people feel good in your orbit. And that's not always how comedians are, you know, that's not the norm. And so I've always just like loved you as a person. And and yeah, and even in pitches, like you're so nice and outgoing, but then it's got the talent and the funny to match. You know, thank you. Yes. So I've always just loved you as a fan and as a person. And then I've been listening to the podcast and I love your affirmations. Mm. I love your optimism about working on ourselves because I think it can feel really overwhelming. And and I've certainly felt overwhelmed. Um, The idea of taking responsibility for your life feels like, no, like that's way too hard. Like I never want to do that. Mm. But actually when you flip it and you look at the, I'm trying my best and I'm showing up for this life and I'm, I'm working on it. It is way more joyful. Mm-hmm. Like that is a, a, there's a place of joy and a delight there as opposed to let me just get through my life. Let me just grind it out. Mm. So I really responded to that in your podcast. And I felt like, oh, my book is definitely in this world. Like this would be an awesome place to come talk. I agree with you. Um, I like what you said that because I, I think taking that personal responsibility I liken it a lot to to what true freedom is. Mm. And I think a lot of people consider freedom to be just this playful thing. This, right. This like dancing around light thing. And right. I think that it has that side of it, but it also has the side of responsibility and yeah. taking care of yourself and taking care of the people around you. And I think a lot of times 
it's easier for us to start just blaming our boss, blaming our right. politicians, blaming right. all these things because then it's not my fault that my life isn't the way I want it to be. Exactly. And I mean, that's sort of what my whole book is about. I grew up in a neglected house. And I think there was a time at which I could have blamed my parents and said, well, they did this to me. And I basically did that until I was 25. And that sort of like led to a dependency on weed and a horrible anxiety where like on a good day, you'd find me openly weeping on the subway, you know, and I hit rock bottom when I was 25. I um, drunk dialed my therapist threatening to hurt myself. And the next morning I was listening to her voicemails and I heard how worried she was. And that made me really worried. Mm -hmm. Like, this is not a life I'm going to survive. I'm exhausted in my guts. What's a way forward? Like, and I didn't even know how to clean a vacuum cleaner filter, like much less fix my life. So it was really like scary and daunting. And it would have been a lot easier to say, well, I was neglected and I had it bad and other people had it better and it's my parents' fault. But little by little, I learned it was more joyful to take the responsibility. Like my life got better the more I said, you know what, that stuff is true. Because there was also a part of me that thought I shouldn't feel this way. Like I didn't have it that bad. I didn't Mm -hmm. have the worst childhood ever. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't feel that bad. But the truth was, I did feel that bad. Mm-hmm. So that was the only real thing I could deal with. And after I started dealing with it, and that's sort of what the book is all about, I found that when you release blame, like mm-hmm. blame is a prison mm-hmm. and it just keeps yourself locked up, you know, but when you release it, you're able to grow and and feel some of, of that light and that liberation. No, I absolutely agree, agree with that. I think... Um... A lot of times we think strength is being able to ignore our our past traumas or act like things. I mean, one of my um, least favorite things in the world is when I and it's usually a dude when I talk about something and I'm like, oh, I'm and and clearly like we disagree on something. I go, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. And they're like, I'm genuine. And they're like, I don't have feelings. You could never (laughs) hurt my feelings. And I just want to go, whoa, who hurt you? Yeah. What happened to you over here? Yeah. Yeah. You don't have feelings? Like, that makes no sense. That doesn't make you strong. It means you're denying (laughs) what life is. Yeah. Um. And I, but I spent a lot of my life doing that. We talk about that a bit where I, you know, I grew up in a abusive household and I spent a lot of that time blaming him and blaming my yeah. mom for allowing that to happen in my life. And then acting like it didn't, then acting like it didn't phase me. And the same thing of like, oh, other people had so much worse, but it wasn't till I started going to therapy and it meant stuff like these things do still affect me in my life. Um, it's kind of this weird thing where you you allow the person if if it's outside of our control you they they hurt us they made that choice and but then we continue to allow ourselves to relive that pain yeah. and relive that hurt over and over again. and to keep being the victim of it you know i one thing i write about is that what you do not deal with deals with you always Like those people who say like, I don't have feelings, whatever, I can move on. Cool that they said that it's not true. Like it runs the game until you figure out how to deal with it. You know, so I think there are a lot of people out there who 
they are blunting themselves with substances or they're just they want it to look perfect, like an Instagram perfect life. Mm -hmm. Like, look, surface, it's all great. But in the inside, they're really suffering. They're, you know, crying in their cubicles at work or mm -hmm. in a job that they just detest and hate or whatever the situation is. And they think they should be fine. And I'm just saying, why do you need to be fine? Like, who said that? And fine sucks. Like, mm. why would you even want to just be fine? See? Yeah. Like, yeah. what else do you want? Like, what do you want to explore? And like, what would be your ultimate dream and like I'm way more interested in feeling your feelings and like living your life than just being fine you know I just think it's really interesting that um you went through that and had uh, that self-reflection and and the strength to to heed those warning calls that you were that you put out yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, I didn't have a lot of options. I was so that night when I junked out my therapist and the next morning, kind of like memento style, piecing it all back together. I just realized I'm not going to survive. Like it just scared me. I got really, really scared. Um, but I had always been really good at school. Mm -hmm. That had always been how I had escaped my situation. So I thought, well, what if I applied sort of my school mind to reparenting myself which was sort of this idea I was like well I didn't have parents really mm. they're not coming to the rescue what would it look like if I did that now and so I started a google doc of like what are values what are principles what are vegetables just like here are my questions and I kind of attacked that and that was sort of it was an urgent sort of um plea to the universe to help me get out of that situation and to lead a life you know so I feel grateful for that rock bottom kind of moment because I don't I don't know that if, if things had just been fine mm -hmm. right if I had been able to apply that word maybe I'd still be in that position mm -hmm. just being a functional alcoholic yeah it, well exactly like there are so many people who you know it doesn't even have to be that quote unquote bad of a substance but like how many people just numb out with reality tv mm -hmm. or numb out with food. relationships food you name it we're mm -hmm. constantly numbing ourselves and denying ourselves the experience of going through our emotions that really want to be felt yeah yeah that's very true that was something that it took me it's so weird that acting of all things is what got me to start looking at that mm. because um talking with my coach and stuff we were really focused on like she's like when you're a comedian it's your job to comment on these things comment mm -hmm. on what life is about comment on other people's emotions not necessarily be in it hmm. and so but that is the opposite of what you need to do to act you need to be able to feel these things right. and, go these, and it was an eye opener to me that i had a hard time accessing some of these places yeah. had a it was easy for me to play these jovial or like right. magical or whatever right. you would call it characters but to then actually have to get angry or to get sad i didn't want to access those things because they brought me back to places i didn't want to be right and it was at that point where i realized oh if i want to I really like acting. I like it. I love it. And so if I really want to get good at it, I'm going to have to 
deal with these blocks that right. are stopping me from accessing my power. Right. And um, that's been very helpful as far as, you know, letting me access anger and use it appropriately and yeah. feel sadness and not try to cover it up with food or weed, right. um, which yeah. is still a constant struggle. And, you know, one thing I often think about is like what great thing in your life came about because it was easy or you could ignore something else. Mm-hmm. If you're anything like me, it's like basically nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, like basically nothing was just like easy and fell into my lap. But when you access like your pain about something, it's actually your superpower. Mm-hmm. That's where like you're talking about, like you can get so much strength from those places, whether it's, you know, also for your acting or for whatever it is you want to do in the world. Like people want authenticity. They want mm-hmm. connection. Mm-hmm. So when you like clamp down and deny people that they kind of feel it, you know, like they know you're not fully there. Yeah. Oh, that's been my thing. Not to bring it into business things, but just because I was like, oh, there's so many different platforms and there's so many different projects right now that I had to really like, because I, I think about that type of stuff where I was like, oh, I like my own production company. I like to see the type of optimistic, fun comedy that I enjoy. But I was like, anything that I have to make, the only thing that it works is that it has to be authentic because mm. there's too many things. <laughs> like, yeah. Why would I watch something that it is just something that you just were like, maybe you want to show about three guys and then look at the office. It was like, yeah, well, that means nothing to me. And also like in the dumpster fire of a world we live in, do we want to just be putting more trash out there? Mm. You know, and like in... I work um, at Comedy Central and I um, try to help find shows. And one of the main things we think about is, is it an authentic story? Does it have a really strong point of view? Because just like on a human level, like to your point, why would I want to watch something that didn't feel real in some kind of way? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, why would I want to watch the thing? It's like three bros and they ended up in a house. Here you go. Yeah. Unless that's your life. Unless <laughs> yeah. that's your real life, then why would I watch that? Who cares? And yeah. what's the take? If like, you're why copying is it? just something else, chasing yeah. a trend, yeah. then it's never works. That's what we talked about on the Angela Johnson. If you chase something, you're always behind. Yeah. Um, but I want to talk a bit. I want to dig backwards a little bit. Um, because you talked a bit about it sounds like as if you were a free range child. Um, <laughs> yeah. What was, what do you mean a bit about, about yeah. your parents not being around? Yeah. So they were a busy doctor and lawyer and I grew up in the right neighborhood and going to the right schools, but on the real, like things came to my house to die. Like the fig tree, all of the pets that we ever had. Iggy the iguana was a goner because nobody paid attention to how to feed iguanas. Like everything was neglected. And it was tough because they'd also do like lavish things. They'd Mm -hmm. be like, we're going to Hawaii. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, I wasn't going to the dentist and I certainly wasn't going to the same dentist twice because we were dodging a bill. Mm. So I always felt this weird one foot in one world, one foot in the other. What is stability? And there was also just a lot of fighting. Mm. A lot of, it was a very, like when I think about it now, my ears get like hot and tingly and they like fold up like little sheets. (laughs) Because 
that I don't know what your experience was like, but for me, the scream like so much screaming mm -hmm. really took a toll um on on my mental health. And um, you know, it was it was not great. Social services was constantly coming to check in on me. And and the weird thing about that was I always blamed myself. I thought, wow, something's really wrong with me if social services is here. I never once considered maybe shit is really bad. Like, like maybe this was a bad situation. And so they're here to check in on that. I was like, what is wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? Why can't I manage this better? Why can't I fix my family? And that was sort of what I grew up in. And really young, like in high school, I started smoking ungodly amounts of weed to ignore blunt, self-medicate, just escape what I was going through. Mm -hmm. And that was like the number one thing I had to deal with in my mid twenties was like this crutch, which weirdly helped me. Like mm -hmm. it got me of to course. college, yeah. you know, like, I don't know that I would have been able to do that without weed, at least to give me some amount of comfort. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, by the time I was out of college, I was so dissociated from like myself and my mood. I, I didn't really know who I was, but it was, you know, Angela Johnson was talking about this when she was on about survival mode. I was just like, get me the hell out of here. Like whatever I have to do, smoke weed, work the hardest, whatever. Like I just can't, I can't be present. <laughs> I um I don't think that's I mean I'm not laughing because that's the funniest but I'm also laughing because it seems like no matter at what time period we would have been friends so that <laughs> <laughs> totally. we could have hung out then to hang, hang out now, now. <laughs> <laughs> I understand yeah. <laughs> so is that um because that's part of your book, right? Is that like you have such uh, this drive and you're successful so young. And I assume that it, it came from that of you looking for like, get me the hell out of this. I need stability. I need to take care of myself. Yeah. And for a long time, it was, um, you know, I didn't get any validation from my parents. I don't have a relationship with my mom. My relationship with my dad is complicated, but better today. But there was no adult saying, I love you unconditionally. Mm -hmm. there, there was nobody who was like, you're worthy just because you are you. And so what I was seeking was outside validation. So from teachers, from my job, I just wanted to, I was like constantly proving myself. And one of the biggest things I've learned on sort of this like self-care journey is when you tether your self-worth to other people, you will always fail. You it, you cannot win. It just isn't possible. Mm -hmm. And actually in Hollywood, I feel like I hear this a lot. People say, well, when I get the pilot, then I'll be happy. Mm -hmm. When I book the show, then I'll be happy. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, <laughs> like if you're not happy now, there's nobody, no thing, no amount of money that could ever give it to you. Um, and And so now I feel like in a place where I know where I get my self-esteem from. Mm -hmm. I've identified it. I write it on my wall at home. I can point to that North Star. I don't need the job or the whatever to validate me anymore. I love that. And I also feel like there's such a um, heavy view on it when people are like, like you said, when they're like, when I get this, then I can be happy. When mm -hmm. I get this, I can be happy. Um, 
But when you do flip it and you find your own self-worth, it's almost like this cheat code yeah. to life. Totally. Where it's like it doesn't matter. And like I get bummed and like when things don't go or like the the biggest change I've noticed in my my just I can see day to day is just when I was in my when I was in my early to mid 20s and my whole self-worth was revolved around my set. It revolved mm. around my comedy because my my health was not good. My my relationship wasn't good. Um, my relationship with my parents wasn't good. Nothing I was doing in my life was going well, but I would use my set as right. a buoy. So right. if I had a great set, it meant like, no, the rest of that doesn't matter. Because yeah. next, who knows? Someone's going to come and put me on Conan. Yeah, I someone's got it. Gonna, it's going to be uh-huh. fine. But then if I had a bad set, it would be like, oh. What my, do I have? Nothing. Yeah. I have nothing. My life is <laughs> shitty. And now I need to start looking for other jobs. And I have no type of education. And like spinning mm-hmm. on the crisis of it. Yeah. And now it's so great because like, I'll go do a set and I'll bomb at the comedy store or whatever. And then I like, I'm just like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Next. Yeah. I'll next. do better next time. It's fine. I, I love my house. I love my family. Yep. I love my lady. I love my son. So it's, it's really hard to defeat me. <laughs> right. Because they're, because you're not just one thing, it would be impossible to defeat you because you're not just your set. But when we put so much pressure on this, like my relationship or my job or this one way I'm perceived, that's Mm -hmm. the crux of everything. There's no way to win. And then everything is so precious and it's not fun. Like there's no joy in that. And I I think when you say, I think you said it's like um, a shortcut or a, you used a term, cheat code. Like it really is because I don't know if you've noticed this, but the less I kind of care about the outcome the more I'm committed to the process, committed to doing the very best I can and controlling the things within my control, mm-hmm. the better the outcomes have been. Mm-hmm. But I had to like let go of thinking I could manipulate everybody else and their feelings and how they perceived me and what the outcome would be. Now I'm just much more open and like can see possibilities, mm. you know, especially my day job is I'm an executive and I take that extremely seriously and I love it. But I, for so long, like I thought I was just that one thing mm-hmm. and I had to be the best at that one thing. And it wasn't until I, you know, did this reparenting of myself with the Google doc for five years that I even saw the possibility of like, wait, maybe I could write a book about this. Or maybe I, maybe there's a hybrid career where I get to be an executive and do the thing I love, but also get to share a story and get to connect mm-hmm. with other people. And had I just been focused on, am I the best executive? Mm-hmm. Did I get that promotion? Like how small minded, like I was just so like rat race mind. But mm-hmm. what I want to be is Oprah mind, <laughs> you know, where I'm like, you know what? This hugely successful show, whatever. I'm going to start a network like I'm going to write these books like Oprah is not worried about like the petty little worries of every single day. And like that's that's the place I want to get to. No, that's beautiful. It's, it's again, that's part of being free and not pigeonholing yourself. And I, I learned a lot of that from my mom because my mom changed careers a few times and mm. for a lot of my youth she was a social worker she mm. worked for the salvation army and she would visit 
people in low income housing and, and, and provide services, which is also funny because it was like, hey, at any moment we could be moving in next to you. <laughs> so it was interesting in that regard. Uh, but at least she knew where we could go get free toys for Christmas. So <laughs> There was a silver lining that you there found. Was. <laughs> but then when um, my mom was um, in her early 50s, she just wasn't really enjoying Chicago as much. Um, she was too wrapped up in her family drama. And she was like, I think I want to be a nurse. Mm. And everybody made fun of her. And it was like, what do you mean? By the time you get out of school, you're going to need a nurse, not be a nurse. You know, that's so crazy to me, though. Like when people nag your dreams, it's like, Wait, no, that's what you think about yourself. Mm-hmm. You think it's too late. You think you're too old. Please do not put that on me. A hundred percent. It's always uh, because it's a uh, um, thing that I've heard from other people where it's like, you always you don't hear that. That is not advice successful people no, give you because no. they have done it. Yeah. Only people who have not done it tell you yeah. you can't do it. Yeah. What Actually, when I I didn't do like the typical things to get a development job, you know, like I was I never worked at an agency. I never worked for a manager. I was Kean Peel's digital producer. And I saw these development jobs come up and I like really wanted one. I was like, oh, I think I'd be really good at that. I'm so hardworking. Some people in my life were like, no, I'm sorry. You don't have enough experience. You don't have the right experience. You would have needed for three years to be on somebody's desk and yada, yada, yada. Like before I had even applied, before there was like a reason to like, like put me down And it was really in that time where I realized, like, wait a minute, I think they might be talking about themselves, (laughs) like, because they don't know, like, they don't know me that well. And this doesn't seem impossible. Just another job. So, like, why all this, like, stress about it? Mm -hmm. Um, But I I really find that, like, it's, it's one of the number one piece of advice I give to young people who are starting out in the business is, like, don't listen to people who are like down about your career. Like you really do have to tune them out because I promise you it's not personal. Like they're actually not talking about you. They're talking about themselves and that sucks for them. But you don't you can just tune that out. Yeah. 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 And it always is. I mean, because like there's a difference when you're when you're like, oh, you're not right for this or you're not right for the part or you right. just don't have enough experience. Right. Those are clear cut things. But right. when people go out of their way to go like, you can't do it. You can't, <laughs> yeah. you know? like, <laughs> like it's not possible. Like we went to the moon and we're trying to figure out all these, you know, um, we have autonomous cars. But you in that career, not possible. Like what? And you're right. There's like a huge difference between feedback, like real constructive you're not right for this job if you had xyz you would be a better candidate why don't you go beef up xyz exactly that's totally legit no you can't do it is insane Mm -hmm. and uh not very valuable advice no no not from anyone go do what you want to do and then do something else then write a book (laughs) (laughs) or do both at the same time do both at the same time oh i mean that just seems so interesting because i want to also ask you about i mean because we never really have executives here at all so it seems interest like such a interesting job to fall into yeah um just so just tell me what you like about it. What makes you happy about your job? The, I'm so glad you asked because there's one thing that makes me happier than anything else. 
which is helping other people get jobs. Like the worst part of the job for sure is having to say no, mm -hmm. because I love artists. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And, you know, I like to write. So I, I don't want to say no to writers. That's mm -hmm. like my hell. But when I get to say like, yes, or go out of my way to figure out how a writer that I met three years ago could fit into this or um, give somebody a break or somebody who's had a bunch of breaks, but never had like the right thing, like mm -hmm. finding them the right thing that Jim Jeffries. Well, like <laughs> Because I saw him the other day, because he was like, I was at an audition, and then I was like, what are you doing, auditioning? He's like, oh, yeah, we're auditioning people for my show. And I was like, oh, they just will just keep giving you shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's like, um, it's a, it's a weird, it is a weird job in that you, you're, you're like a gatekeeper to a whole other thing. So it's not even like, I'm not a comedian. I'm not, I couldn't write. I could not do what you do. I'm, I'm a not qualified B not talented enough. C like, I love that about you. So it's, you know, it's obviously a weird thing then that I'm sitting in a position kind of figuring out what's good for the network. But what gives me great happiness is like, I want comedians to succeed. Like I never, and I've only ever worked at Comedy Central, so I don't know how it is at other places, mm -hmm. but I never go into a pitch or a general thinking I'm better and I don't care. And like, I my mind is never made up. My Like when I walk in a room and I think people don't say this enough in Hollywood, like it would make my life so much easier to say yes than to say no. Mm. Like saying yes here, like you bringing me this awesome thing that I totally works actually would be a lot easier and like more in my interest than saying no. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I try to approach like even when you said that, like being nice at shows, being like warm and approachable, like I'm on your team. And, and that's definitely how I see the job and what gives me the greatest happiness. Yeah, I think that's what makes you good at the job and the fact that you um, you know your value. But then you also, like you said, you know, like Oh, I'm not the comedian. I'm thinking, but I think there's so many times you go into a room and you can feel like, oh, like some of them think that they could do this better than me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I totally, I think that's a thing. And I think um, one thing that I say pretty frequently is know who the talent is. Like whenever you're in a situation, like we all have talents, we're all the talent in some respects. But I've definitely seen people who like want to perform for comedians and like what the fuck are you doing like they like they're actually the comedian mm -hmm. like you don't need to do all that like and in fact i don't think they want it so if you just show up and be normal and listen and receptive mm -hmm. that tends to go better you know and i it's it is um understanding who the talent is and like why you want to do a project with somebody mm -hmm. it pays off at like every step I also like what you said about wanting to say yes. And a thing that um, I had to get into my mind recently is because of all often. I mean, I mean, I've sold a few things, which has been great. And then also gotten a few notes, but I always feel like. And a lot of times, like, even if you're like, oh, this is a great idea, but it doesn't fit or anything like that. It, it's so much better to get told no up front 
and move on to someone who's like in love with it or whatever or, or for it to not work than to force something that won't work uh, and then you and then people have seen it and then you your career is uh, messed up well it's the worst thing ever it's like any relationship like if you're forcing a relationship and you're trying to like force somebody to like you or force it to work mm-hmm. it, it doesn't work when you're dating why would it work with a creative project you know and i think sometimes there's people like on both sides so desperately like oh but i love the talent and i love this thing but actually just saying up front like i don't think this is gonna work let's all move on with our lives mm-hmm. is typically better just like with dating <laughs> like, yeah we don't need to do this for three years oh tell me <laughs> we were talking to my friend gabe this is so fun i get to talk trash about gabe <laughs> on the podcast randomly now <laughs> gabe Got out of a relationship, dated a girl in Portland. They hung out over one time while he was there doing shows. He turned into a full year relationship where they ended up at Palm Springs. And last week, not even kissing over a four day weekend. Not even a kiss. Not even a kiss. Four days of just awkwardness. No, in Palm Springs? Yes. You're you're paying for it? Oh my God. I know. That's definitely one of my. it has been in the past is like oh cool we're not neither one of us is really that into it let's just force it for two years and then see. <laughs> maybe that will fix it let's just hurt each other's feelings for yeah. a long time yeah yeah <laughs> that sounds like a good idea <laughs> oh it's so fun um the title of your book i read a little excerpt yeah. about it about and that it came from a real event of yeah. you not wanting to buy yourself some lilies yeah i so basically every week i would go to the trader joe's and stand in the flower section debating whether or not i was worth seven dollar lilies and i love lilies they're my favorite flower they like burst open with perfume and to me, they make any room like more elegant and calming. And so I'd fantasize about, oh, these lilies in my teeny studio apartment. They're going to change my life. But then I decide, no, you know what? They're too good for me. And I go circle Trader Joe's looking for my like budget Indian microwavable dinners. And then I come back to the lilies and I'd grab them and run for the register and, and try to like beat my mind and mm-hmm. like check out. But as you know, at Trader Joe's, you could wait a lifetime to check out. So I'd usually just ditch them on a shelf between pita and kale chips. <laughs> that was like a weekly thing until I started going into this self-care kind of journey and and working on this Google Doc with all my questions and one of the main questions is why am I so messed up about money? Like why in my mind it was more valuable to go to brunch and drink a bunch of mimosas than it was to own pants without holes in the crotchal region. I was like, I'm going to wear these pants until they're falling off my legs. If I have to walk strategically at work, so be it. I'm not spending the money. And as I was like kind of journaling and writing about it, I was like, why don't I think I'm worth the basics? And the more I thought about it, the more I realized, oh, because in my family, the basics were never valued. You know, things that were showy, like my mom had a Mercedes convertible mm-hmm. that was um, that was valued. But then it was repossessed and mm-hmm. we like never talked about it. You know, it was always showy things or I was I think I talked about we go to a vacation in mm-hmm. Hawaii, but.
But the dentist, I, I was so jealous of my friends when they said, I have a dentist appointment because somebody was making appointments for them. Like that would have meant way, way more to me. So when I was thinking ab about this, I realized oh, I'm buying these lilies. Like I am at least worth $7 lilies. I am worth the small luxury that makes my whole life better. Mm -hmm. And I think with the kind of the self-care movement we're in today, there's a real danger of thinking a massage and a spa weekend is self-care. Mm -hmm. Like those things are nice. No knock to those things. They're not self-care. Mm -hmm. For me, self-care is an honest accounting of your emotional wounds and then building the small habits and rituals to heal those wounds. So when I buy myself lilies, it is an act of you are worth the basics. And, and I, I, I weirdly think a lot of people relate to, to this thing of like denial. So like I've mm -hmm. heard my friends talk about an order of guacamole this way. Like, oh, no, I, I can't order the $4 guac. Like, but do you love guac? Like, because if you do, then why wouldn't, like, it's mm -hmm. fine. It's not going to bankrupt you. In fact, it, we were talking a little bit about like the weird cheat code. Like I think one of the quickest cheat codes for life is treating yourself well makes you do better. Being mean, self-critical, down on yourself, denying yourself basic luxuries is a recipe to be brittle, to not be able to weather a storm, to constantly be criticizing yourself. But buying yourself the lilies, getting yourself the raspberries at the farmer's market. Mm -hmm. um, Nikki Glazer told me that hers is taking a long ass nap, even mm -hmm. when she shouldn't take a nap, being like, I am worth a nap. It's free, but it heals you. It makes you feel like you're taking care of yourself because you actually are. So that's where the title of the book comes from. Yeah, I'm glad I asked. I did a good job, huh? There you go. <laughs> Publicist in the corner, two thumbs up. Yeah, it's fun. I love it. We never have entourage. <laughs> oh, yeah, my giant entourage. Well, I'm, I'm not talent like you, though. Like, so for me, all this is, like, really new, and I'm really scared. So Lauren, like, holds my hand and gives me a pep talk and is like, you're not worthless. Like, you've got this. You can do it. You're, not, you're scared in, in interviews? Oh, yeah, because I'm not. In you, you know, I'm in awe of stand ups because you go on the stage and it's just you. That's it. Like it's you, your brain, how you deliver things, and that, and you're judged on that. I am behind a desk all day. And even when I was writing the book, which took a few years, you know, I'm alone or I'm with my editor. It's like a very solitary act. So now to be out there, kind of a very behind the scenes person talking about it. Oh, yeah, I'm terrified. And then I, I'm talking to someone like you who's like naturally funny and like everybody loves like, yeah, I'm really scared. Well, I should put you at ease. <laughs> well, knowing you makes me feel a lot more at ease. But but it's it, it goes to say that, like, yeah, I'm I uh, definitely don't fancy myself like the the on camera talent in any situation. I would say um, well, you you. I deal with a lot of what's been very helpful for me is because I used to be so scared of executives and casting directors. See, and, and that's like, interesting to me. Why? Because you're like, oh, you're judging me and mm -hmm. interesting. You're judging yeah. me. You're judging things, especially a lot of times because when I anything that I pitch was always because I don't like I said, don't come up with those things. So everything was personal. And so yeah. anytime they were like, and never, not necessarily with you guys, I think you, you guys had always been very um, 
even when you turn me down, you're like, we love you. <laughs> just not the right idea for us. Uh, but I've had some, like I, I pitched a show to a network and then they were just like, it's just too, too dark for network TV. And I was like, that, that was my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> like that was my experience on planet earth. It's yeah. too dark. Cool, too, cool, cool. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. Oh, it shook me for a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, They're like, oh, my life is too, too dark. dark. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lazy note by the way thank you i don't i don't, I don't <laughs> I agree. like that very general yeah. uh, so. too general like what are you supposed to do with that like yeah. you, it's not constructive in any way like what can you do next yeah I, I, and you I, can't I, change your childhood either so no, but i also was just like you know what it's fine just yeah moving fine. on yeah. <laughs> just like on to the next one like bye see you later oh man i forgot what i was talking about because i got angry oh i remember <laughs> Is that um, seeing them outside of their domains, outside of, um, you know, their kingdoms. Where I was like, oh, half of you can't talk. Half yeah. of you aren't good at public speaking at all. And then going from Montreal, I was like half of you got some issues with drinking and drugs. And, right? then, <laughs> and so then it was a little bit like, why am I letting you judge me? <laughs> <laughs> um, but the. I say all of that to say that you 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 know what you're talking about. It's clear that you love your book and love what you put into it because so, you speak about it with passion and clearly. And um, I would not not consider you you you're very capable of doing any interviews and you're uh, good at it. So. Oh, thank you. I just got an affirmation from Ron Funches. <laughs> I feel so good. I'm hanging on to that one. Take it. Hold on to it. And tell me some of your upcoming goals, things that you're focusing on uh, career wise or personal yeah. wise what plans that you have for uh, your book launching or and beyond. Yeah, I think right now, you know, the the single reason I wrote the book was to make other people feel less alone. Like the way that when I was a kid, David Sedaris or Maya Angelou or memoirs where it was like clear that the family dynamic was not ideal. Mm -hmm. They made me feel a lot less alone. And, and so that's the mission of this book. And so right now, my number one goal is to talk to people and to connect. And if somebody messages me and like shares a little bit, a piece of them and how the book has affected them. Like I'm right there back with them ready to talk. And I actually um, did an event at my high school a couple weekends ago. And that was bananas. Like to go back and to be able to talk to 15 year old version of me and to like hold her hand and say, please put down the bong and mm -hmm. take yourself seriously. Like you can get out of this. It's going to be okay. But you need to start taking care of yourself because nobody else here is going to do that for you. That was one of the biggest gifts of my life to be able to do that. So I think it's connecting with people, being really open to the gifts that sharing can give because, you know, I have a little fear of, oh, if I'm so vulnerable, like, what are people going to think about me if I put this all out there? I think every week. Right? <laughs> you're like, yeah, you're like, I go through this weekly on the podcast. And on all of your stand-up. Um, so I, there's a little bit of that, but there's more of an urgency of like, I don't want the experience I went through to be in vain. I want to make something of it. So I think like writing that out as much as I can. Mm -hmm. I realized I love writing books. So I hope that that's um, another, I hope there's another book for me. And then continuing to find and nurture artists, you know, like, 
that's what I've done most of my career at Comedy Central. Um, but it's it's sort of like I'm really open to the possibility that the book and the things I'm naturally good at are going to dovetail into the next thing. And I'm open to the mystery. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what it is. I'm not like gunning for a promotion. I'm not trying to make anything happen. What I'm trying to do is stay really aware and present um, and get to enjoy meeting all the cool people, like just even getting to be here with you now, like soaking in this moment and and staying present with it. That's sort of my goal at the moment. Oh, you just reaching them higher levels. Huh? <laughs> you, you, I'm trying. I'm really trying. Real, that's because that's what it's all about. And I, yeah. oh, I'm, that's what I'm trying to do. And then it bounces down into uh, physical needs and <laughs> yeah, yeah. financial things and concern about my son's future. Yeah. Uh, but... <laughs> the real things. Yeah. But, but they exist together. Mm-hmm. Like it's always that two things are true at the same time. Like, yeah, we have to deal with like the real hardships and problems with one of my big fears is like what my family is going to think of the book mm. on one hand. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, was I not going to tell the story? If I thought it could be helpful to other people, hell no, I was always going to do it. So I try to like remember like, okay, these two things are true at the same time mm-hmm. and they actually help one another. They make each more rich. Uh, I just think it's um, it's important for people to hear and it's, um, not just women, but I think there is just this dynamic that's always pushed upon us and it's things that I've tried to write about just from uh the relationship I had with my ex-wife and things like that and me being a single dad and, and having sole custody of my son but there's always this thing of like mom is perfect and mom mm. mom don't you ever like there can be these shows about deadbeat dads and all these right. things but don't because I even when I was pitching it around people would be like I don't what well, this mother character <laughs> that's but so I'm like so many people have this experience and so many people have to deal with that and I think it's a real disservice that we ignore that sometimes moms aren't perfect and nor should they be I and, yeah Sometimes we have bad relationships with it. You're lucky. I'm lucky that mine went from being kind of adversarial with my mom to now we're we're the best of friends. But I know a lot of um, guys and I know especially a lot of women who have these relationships with their mom that don't fit the storybook thing. And they're up. They're deeply bothered by it. I'm so grateful that you brought this up because this is one of the main things I want to get out there. You know, because I had a really difficult relationship with my mom growing up. She was very, um, I don't even, it's weird. I don't know how to label it, um, but emotionally abusive at a minimum. As I grew older, I realized it was a threat to everything good in my life because she was attacked my self-esteem. I mean, she would leave me these like harassing voicemails telling me like, um, you're a fraud and a liar. And if you want to get your nails done, tell me and I'll meet you on Sunday. Mm. And it was always this like very confusing. My mom hates me. Like she is being aggressive. She is harassing me. And at a certain point I had to realize I was worth protecting and she was not going to be the one to protect me. And yet, like to your point, people who even knew my mom would say, yeah, but you only get one mom. You have to love love her warts and all. And I'm like, says who? 
like, have you been with her? Like, and like, it is so nice that you can't even imagine a situation that would be bad enough that I would take this action. That is, you have so much to be grateful for, but you have nothing to tell me. And I really want to get it out there that to other people, because I think women in particular are told the story of like, your mom is supposed to be your best friend and you're supposed to live in a Nancy Myers kitchen and she's going to make you croissants in the middle of the night. And like, yeah, I wish I had that. That would have been dope. Like, please give me that. But I didn't. And I can't hold myself to that story because it just wasn't true for me. So I, I hope to be encouraging people to talk more openly. Like Mother's Day is my least favorite day of the year for this reason, mm -hmm. because the whole wide world, mm -hmm. ev everybody at work, they ask the most innocuous question, what are you doing for Mother's Day? And I have to come up with like a lie or now I just say something like, I'm going to a spa and like leave, like leave it at that. Cause that's now is what I do is I, I do something nice for me on Mother's Day. Mm. But it is, it's a story that nobody wants to accept that you could have a tough, a tough enough relationship with your mom that you might not want her in your life. Yeah, it, it is. But I feel like there's more there you know and there's varying degrees but i think there's more people who have issues with that than have that storybook right and so right. i just wish that was viewed that way sometimes because i just think it would help a lot of people spiritually and mentally yeah i mean the other thing i hear usually when i say you know i, I don't have a relationship with my mom is i'm so sorry and i'm like well i, I get that like you're trying to maybe trying to empathize, but like, I'm not sorry that I don't have a relationship with my mom. I'm sorry that it was so toxic for so long. I'm actually really glad that I took the step to protect myself. So it, it's like this whole sort of the whole paradigm kind of mm -hmm. needs to shift and we have to do it individually first and kind of talk to our friends about it that way. Like, hey, I know you're just trying to be supportive, but actually like telling me, I'm so glad that you're strong. I'm so glad that you found a way out is a lot more helpful than I'm sorry you don't have mm -hmm. a relationship with her. Or, I'm sorry, sorry it something's broken. Some right, exactly. Like focusing on the thing that's broken as opposed to the how I healed it or fixed it or the solution. Yeah, that was gonna be the next words out of my mouth because it takes tremendous strength to have someone in that who is your parental unit and you to go this person isn't protecting me. This person yeah. doesn't have my, even if they do love me. Right. They may right. not have the tools to protect me and have my best interests have because they, they didn't learn them. They don't have it. And one of the things I write a lot about is we think that our relationship with our parents are deeply personal, the most personal relationship on earth. But what I learned um, through my relationship with my dad actually is there was not a single personal thing about our dynamic. You know, he never set out to neglect me. He never set out to make my life hard. He simply didn't have the tools to be the kind of dad he wanted to be. And that that is sad that that he wanted something else, but he couldn't give it to me. But it's not a it's not personal. Mm -hmm. I didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't ever about me. It wasn't that he wanted to like hurt me or attack me. It was just, he didn't have those tools. 
you know, and, and I think like building up our resistance to taking everything personally, whether our parents, I mean, it, it goes to every relationship, like how a person treats you has a lot more to do with how they treat themselves, how they see the world, what their capabilities are. You know, people are limited. Mm-hmm. That's like was on my uh, was on my uh, vision board for a long time was just people are limited, myself included. Mm-hmm. Like I have to find my blind spots too. like mm-hmm. that's an important part of all of this. Yeah, that was a big um, lesson for me is because um, for me, I, I made a decision probably in my late teens that um, I had to cut my dad out of my life and not and again, I had a mixed um, relationship with him because he had gotten me out of a bad situation of being in an abusive relationship with my mom and moved me into Oregon. And I've been very um, grateful that, especially more now, it was like, oh, if, if, if I would not have been a comedian if I had huh. stayed in Chicago. Interesting. My mom had too much direction on my life mm. and she would not have seen that as a as a real thing mm. and so it took the distance of being away from her it took me moving from a place like chicago to a small town like salem oregon and having my brain be like oh wait like oh i thought i had to act this way or i had right. to do this. i don't have to do any of that right and um but then i learned like my Dad just didn't know how to make the best decisions as far as the right people to keep around his family mm. and to not have. He didn't want to hurt the family, but he did not know how to keep people away who did. Right. And as, and I just remember the day because um, my dad had like um, five kids or four different women. And one of my youngest brothers is like. At the time I was 30, he would have been like four. Mm-hmm. And so I went and saw him and he looked like me, you mm-hmm. know, he looked like me when I was four years old mm-hmm. and he's watching wrestling, he's <laughs> playing video games and he's talking to me about Kevin Owens and all these, mm-hmm. all my favorite wrestlers. And I'm like, oh man, that was so cool. And I'm like, like softening and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm, I'll hang out around here a little bit more. I love, I love, you know, my new little brother and stuff. He's right. great. And then I leave there and i go see my cousins um at my grandma's house and they're just talking and they're talking about how they had already taken him out into some alley to shoot handguns and stuff and he's like four years old wow and i'm like oh my dad can't keep this kid safe he doesn't have the the tool you use the word tools like the ability which is i think like to get back to thing we're talking about at the beginning, like the releasing the blame around it though. Cause it's like my dad, he never set out to leave. I mean, he was very absent or he would purposefully um, not be supportive of my dreams because he thought he had a better way to do it or whatever his reasons were. And it took a long time to say like, wait, this isn't about me he doesn't know, he doesn't know what he's doing. And he's, by the way, not even self-aware enough to know that he doesn't know. Mm. And that's like hard. Then you really, then you have to become the parent because you're like, wait, I see that he doesn't even know enough to know what he doesn't know. So I can't keep blaming him for this because it's not getting me anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just a cycle. 
Yeah. You just got to pull yourself out of it. And, um, but I received a lot of flack from it, from my, from my, even from my, my mom who would privately be like, Oh, I get it. <laughs> well, I have a question about it. So you, so you found out from the cut from your cousins that the four year old was playing with handguns. And so then what mm-hmm. did, what did you do? Like, um, I told to him about it and then I told to myself of like, I can't get invested in this. Mm. If I'm invested in this, it's going to draw me off my path. That is so I'm strong doing. of you to be able. I mean, because that is tough. Your four year old younger brother and and then but deciding like this is going to take me far adrift. That's a really strong choice to 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 make for yourself. Well, I had a lot of practice of trying to save people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it always works. Yeah. Yeah. It had, I think, a 0% success yeah. rate of yeah. me trying to pull people yeah. along. It and... just ruins your own life. Mm-hmm. Doesn't help them. Not yeah. at all. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah. And so I just realized, because there was other things too, like my, um, I mean, they'll never listen. And even if they do, they don't talk to me. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> but like he had another daughter and she got like bit in the face by a pit bull. And oh it was just all God. these like things of like, you're not watching. You're yeah. not taking care. These things should not happen. Right. And it was either like, oh, I can't. Do I want to get in and try yeah. to take care? Or right. do I need to remove myself from the situation? Right. Right. And so I removed myself from the situation. I, I mean, we still like I, I think the last time I saw my dad was at my sister's wedding. And we talked like two guys who haven't seen each other in years and right. are still like, hey, how you doing? Things going. Da, da, da. But like. There's no real like connection there, right. which sometimes makes me sad when other people. Right. That dad or but. And mostly it's just motivated my relationship with my son. Yeah. And that you can make your family the way that you want it to be. You don't have to save the old, the the past. Like you don't need to rewrite the past, but the future, you can definitely shape how you want. You know, I think for me, one thing I've been doing is tying my gratitude to my sadness about my dad mm-hmm. and my family that and it came from my i don't know if you saw the mr rogers movie or oh, what you, you know <laughs> i saw that i was crying i know like i like both the documentary and the tom hanks love them both went down a wormhole have now watched so much mr rogers but one of the things i took away from that movie is he says to um the reporter character you know without your dad like you wouldn't be here you wouldn't be the person you are today and that was like a huge um like a chime went off in my brain because I was like, wait, if I hadn't gone through all of that, I mm-hmm. wouldn't be the person I am today. I can genuinely tell you I love myself in a healthy way. Like I feel good. Like most of the time, would that be possible without what I went through? And I, I actually don't think so. So when I get like down or about that relationship, I try to remember and bring up like, well, I'm grateful that my dad and my mom ever even got together mm. to mix DNA <laughs> to make me a human. That's a huge, big deal that they did that. So I can find something to That's be grateful for. That's how he pitched for. it that night, too. He was like, <laughs> hey, girl, you going to mix DNA, DNA, make us a human. <laughs> it's like, every, as everyone knows, every woman's dream <laughs> to, to hear the phrase, Mixed DNA. <laughs> so gross. 
Well, it was fun. I like talking to you. It was yeah. fun. I mean, I usually love talking to anyone who's got parental traumas. But <laughs> 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 They're my favorite people. Uh, where are we at time-wise, Hosty? What? No. Oh wow. Mm. Wow. Is there anything that I feel I need to talk? Oh, we're going to do it. Oh, I think self-worth was in there. Boom, treating yourself was in there. Family background. I went through all my notes without Amazing. looking at it. Wow. I love it. I'm getting better at hosting. Ah, so happy. So I guess we'll just do what we always do is we'll end this plane by asking you for a piece of advice, even though you're giving it so much. It's been a true pleasure talking with you. And I mean, I don't mean, I don't, do I, I think I do say that to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it doesn't cheapen it now. <laughs> no, no, really. Just because this is what yeah. I love about doing the podcast is that either I get to spend some time with someone who's like, you know, when I have Conan on and it's just like, oh, I've always wanted to spend an hour talking yeah. to you. Uh, there's someone who is like, oh, I kind of like this person. And then yeah. it's like, oh, no, I really like <laughs> this person. And now that's where you are. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I love being here. Thank you for having of me. Of course. So how we in every episode is by asking for a piece of advice, maybe just something you've been focusing on that could help our getting better community to get better. Very vague. I'm sure you'll nail it. I'm going to say something really small, but really practical. I have been focusing on smiling at people more often. Um, so like holding the door for somebody and smiling at them, trying to make eye contact with the guy who's serving water at your table, like anybody who's in my presence. Because I think oftentimes we go around just not seeing people and like not being a smile and I kind of hate that. So I've found myself like today at the gym, somebody held the door open and smiled for me. And I was like, oh my God, like, yay, that felt really good. So I know how it feels. So I, I think if we could, I, it might even sound a little cheesy, but if we could like smile and hold eyes for like a second, a little bit more, you put a better energy out there. And I think you get it right back. I think that is a great advice. And it is small, but small things are very powerful. And I think a lot of times, especially um, it's a lot of fear and there's a lot of people running around in your phones or in your headphones yeah. because you don't want to, to. You don't want to connect. Don't want to connect. Yeah. And you do find, um, excuse me, I'll speak, always speak for myself. I do find that when I take the time and I, and I, I like it. It's, yeah. uh, it's also because this is, that's my makeup. That's part of the comedian in me. Yeah. That's part of the thing is that if I see a cashier, if I see someone where I can like make their day a little more fun, if yeah. they are having a shitty day at work and I can make it a little bit more fun by talking trash or talking about their, their things, I love it. It makes me so happy. It seems to make their day. And um, I've all, I mean, just for the longest time, I've just been like, Anything that I can do to be a positive force in the world. And it doesn't necessarily mean raising a million dollars for something. Right. It can be as small as smiling at someone, holding a door open for someone, letting someone, you know, yeah. shaking someone's hand. Absolutely. It's and it's free. It's, you know, like it's not a huge imposition. And it's, you know, we talk a lot about self-care and, and we're saying like going to a spa or whatever. 
I promise you that smiling at the people in your day has so many more rewards than a massage ever could because you're connecting, you're being present, you're out of your own spinning head and with the people around you. I still want my hot stone massage. <laughs> you can still have that. Okay. You still get that. <laughs> you still get that, but also this. Yeah, but I, I did like, I think I didn't get the chance, but um, I love that because people forget about maintenance as the, the self-care. It's yeah. always about balling out of control or, yeah. or getting something extravagant. But to me, yeah, like being able to maintain, to go to, I same thing, I went to the dentist today. Going to the dentist nice. makes me feel good because it means that I'm keeping a, a maintenance schedule, that I'm working on things. Yeah. Um, and just keeping my house together and keeping everything nice and not, that used to be my thing of just being like, I just want a new house. Right. <laughs> just like, right. But now it's just like, maybe one day, uh, God willing, if, you know, if family gets bigger and, you know, engaged now, maybe, you know, have another kid and hopefully the universe will provide that. But until then, my favorite thing is just about keeping the area that I am as peaceful and nice and as happy yes. as I can. I'm crazy about keeping my bathroom sink clean. Like every night before I go to bed, I like spritz it with um, a rosemary scented little thing it smells great. It takes 10 seconds. It makes my whole life feel better because I'm taking care of the space I'm actually in and I'm respecting myself enough to do that. And it, it's sort of like whatever your bathroom sink is, if it, you know, like it's also for me, like having toilet paper, always never using paper towels because that's definitely what I did in my twenties. But mm -hmm. like, it's like, I had newspaper. Right? We got the newspaper <laughs> like, at my house. Right? Like it's those little, but it's like the littlest thing and can it make such an enormous difference more than a trip to Hawaii does because it means you're making it a habit. Like it's, it's the mundane details of our life that make up our life, not the big bawling out moments. So it's more like. We usually use those to escape our life. Right. To go on that vacation, to not be present. Oh, I just need to check out from my life. I'm so stressed out. That my question is, if you need to check out from your life, like let's consider the life part and not the escape hatch. Yeah. Oh, it gets so beautiful when um when I'm at my best and when I'm not off balance, when I'm like, oh. I get to go, I go to Philly, I'm going to Pittsburgh, I'm going to Vancouver. Mm -hmm. I get to do all these fun things and meet all these fun people I'm going to Australia. And then I get to go on vacation. <laughs> 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 it's like, what is my life? <laughs> it's beautiful. That is beautiful. It is truly amazing. Beautiful. Um, and I just appreciate you being here. I love talking with you. Oh, let's do. <laughs> let's let you plug your book and complete one more time tell people the full title tell people where yeah. they can get it because i believe if you listen to this conversation you're gonna want that book right because i know i do now and i you know i don't do ads on this fucking podcast we don't advertise even myself so you know if i'm doing something i believe in it so tell us where they can get. Thank you. So it's called Buy Yourself the Fucking Lilies and Other Rituals to Fix Your Life from Someone Who's Been There. And you can get it wherever books are sold, like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound. If you just Google it, you can find it or at your local bookstore.
Okay, good. I recommend it. Go out there and do it. I also recommend it while, without reading it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I read some excerpts and then we had this conversation. And you, So you know if it's for you or not. I think you know by now. Go and pick up the book. Um, and thank you guys for listening. Have a good day. Bye. <laughs>